millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Hope everybody is bearing up under the current restrictions and in particular any of you out there who are ill with the virus or ill in any way in, in this very trying time. I suppose a mention should also be made for everybody who's lost their job. And we saw figures today that put that number at upwards of half a million people. So here's hoping for um, some better times around the corner. Now, while all this is ongoing, we have in what other instances might be regarded as something of simply a slow bicycle race in terms of government formation. But quite obviously now that has taken on an extra urgency. The current caretaker government has received positive reviews about how it's handled the crisis, but then again it can continue indefinitely, or at least not without some imprimatur from the Oireachtas. Here to talk about that and to take the wider political temperature is the Irish Examiner's political editor, Danny McConnell. How are you, Danny? Hi, Mick. How's it going? Good, thanks. Danny, I'll start off with uh, the Shannon. Uh, election, which came to, I think it may not be completely concluded, but I think we more or less have a picture of the, I think it would be 49 seats that were filled this week. Yeah, that's right. So there are 60 seats in total in the Shannon Mick. Uh, 11 of those have to get filled uh, by way of appointment by the teacher of the day. Now, Obviously, there's been a controversy over the last couple of weeks because Leo Varadkar is, as acting Taoiseach, does not have a mandate to appoint senators to a new Shannon. So therefore, um, legislation could not get passed. So, um, so ultimately, that has added the the, the pressure to um, the the various political parties and groupings to to get their act together to form a new government. But apart from those eleven nominees, um, there are a, a number of panels that that people get elected to. And what we've seen this week is the counting of those uh, the ballots for all those panels. You have the two university sector panels: one for the NUI, that's the National University of Ireland, and then one for Trinity College Dublin. Both of those have uh, constituencies of three seats each. And remarkably, all of the outgoing senators from the two groupings were returned. So in the NUI, you had Ronan Mullen, Michael McDowell and Alice Mary Higgins returned. And in Trinity, you had David Norris, uh, Senator Lynn Ruan and Labour's Ivana Batchik returned. So no change in the university sector whatsoever. What you have seen in the various other, I suppose, vocational sector panels is quite a lot of change. You have a lot of, I suppose, Fianna Gaelers and Fianna Fáilers who lost their seat looking to get um, uh, some refuge in the Shannon. Some have been successful, but some high-profile uh, casualties have lost out. The likes of Timmy Dooley of Fianna Fáil is one of the notable ones. Declan Brannock, another Fianna Fáil um, uh, TD who lost a seat, has also lost out. Um, a high-profile senator, Catherine Noon, uh, who was in the Shannon for two terms, has, has failed to get re-elected. She, 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 put, she fared very poorly in her campaign, getting something like only 18 or 19 votes this time around. Um, and the way it's worked is that every vote is given the value of 1,000 votes. So technically she had 18,000 votes, um, but uh, in reality she got just 18 from her from her various colleagues. Can I stop you there, Danny? Do you, Catherine Noon, you mentioned, do you attribute any of her defeat to we might people might recall the incidents in the general election 
where, and to be fair, we're all entitled to mistakes. And it seems she made a bit of an error. She made some reference to, or she was caught on uh, tape referring to um, Leo Varadkar as being in some way autistic. Do you think that contributed at all to her political demise in that regard? Definitely, because the consistency uh, of, of people who were voting for her are her own party colleagues, county councillors and other Oireachtas members. Her comments were definitely seen as ill-judged and, and, and rather crass and ultimately you know, done at a time when the party could have done without them. So therefore, I think she definitely damaged her own her own, her own own position there. Uh, and ultimately, she was seen uh, as someone who has, I suppose, tried and failed to get elected at a, you know, for the Dáil on several occasions now. She's seen somewhat as you know, her time has come and gone. So therefore... Um, I think that there was a political priority by the parties to try and look at people who can get elected to the Dáil. The very clear mantra from Fine Gael, particularly because they did so badly in the general, is they want to see they want to use the Shannon as a sort of a breeding ground for for to rescue people like Sean Kine, the former chief whip who uh, who is now who is now in in the Shannon to try and rebuild his political career or as a breeding ground for future politicians uh, in, in Dáil Éireann. So people like Catherine Noon who have failed and try or sort of tried and failed on several occasions to get elected to the Dáil they essentially their time was seen as, as done and therefore she has lost out Right and as we know it's an archaic system I think since 1979 there have been reports in the books with recommendations of how to reform it I mean just the smallest example that strikes me even in the context of university graduates having a vote uh, and you can well argue that the they should have no more a right to vote than people who, for the most basic level, graduate from, say, institutes of technology, if you want to put it in an education sense, even in that context. But even in terms of universities, the likes of DCU and the University of Limerick, two of, I would argue, the most progressive universities in the country, if you're a graduate of those you don't have a vote whatsoever. Yet if you're one of the traditional universities that go back into the 19th century, in some cases, you do a bit crazy, but you look, that's the system we have. Um, one thing that arises there, Danny, I wonder, the 11 nominees, in the first instance, if we are to presume that we're going to Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael in the next government, I presume then they would be shared out between the parties. And the other thing that arises there is very often, a Taoiseach has used, certainly in recent times, those nominees to put into the Shannon somebody from civic society or the broader society that would be in no way party political. Because of the way, particularly, those two parties didn't do well in the election, is there likely, are they likely to give less scope to making those kind of appointments when it comes to it? Definitely, I, I would think, and the Kenny in particular, in his two uh, uh, rounds of appointments to the Shannon, very much went down the road of civic society and tried to broaden out and bring non-politicians into the Shannon. And he was lambasted internally for doing so, because essentially, ultimately what happened was a number of those appointees defected to the opposition and voted against the government, ma- making it very difficult for legislation to get passed through the Shannon. So I think given the numbers that are there at the moment, uh, I think that's highly unlikely. I think what, the, what you'll see is a divvying up of the 11 nominees between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. They may compromise on one or two, but I think for the vast, vast majority of the 11 appointees, they will be party apparatchiks and people who they will need a leg up in terms of trying to rescue their political careers. And just one tiny thing, this, is, <laughs> this may not apply to all, but if we're to take, and I'm jumping a small bit ahead here, but for example, there's a lot of talk, for example, of the Rural Alliance of TDs, which is a, a group being put together about nine TDs. Is there any chance... Now, they're hotly tipped to be part of the government. We'll come to that. But is there any chance that a group like that 
might have a spake in saying we want a particular person appointed to the Shannon. Absolutely, they could do and could very well be the price of forming a government. Similarly enough, the Labour Party or some other smaller grouping, uh, be it the Labour Party, the Sock, Sock Dems or whoever else, could very well demand at least one Taoiseach's nominee uh, as part of the deal um, because, you know, the spaces around the cabinet table are going to be very limited. Um, and in, in a kind of a very diverse sort of government like it's likely to be, you know, those sort of cabinet seats are going to be at a premium. So therefore, you look to the other goodies that a teacher can give out, be they junior ministries, committee chairmanships, places in the Shannon like this. So therefore, it could become one of the avenues open to the Taoiseach and the Taunashe, the two leaders of the two parties, to basically kind of agree a deal with the smaller parties in order to secure a working majority for four or five years. Okay, and to reverse a bit, as I said, I jumped a bit ahead, we're back to government formation. As of now, it would seem the two uh, entities that seem to be forming the basis for this government, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, they've been in discussions for the last couple of weeks, I suppose, where exactly are we at in terms of them having an agreed position, Danny, before they approach anyone else? I think what we have now, Mick, is a position where they have they have been exchanging policy papers, they've had chats, they've been kind of sending each other out. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of this has been done in the context of the COVID-19 crisis, so it's been a somewhat expedited or truncated process. Um, but ultimately, what you do have are areas of agreement, areas where the two parties can say, yes, we can work together on this. I don't think we're at the stage yet where they're deciding, well, I'm going to put this person into this ministry or we can have this ministry. I don't think they're at that stage yet. I still think very much at the stage of, well, what are we going to do on housing? What are we going to do in relation to health? What are we going to do in relation to education and their various pet projects? They're obviously looking at the financials uh, and saying, well, how much of this can we afford in year one, year two, year three, year four, or whatever it might be. Um, and ultimately, they're, 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 they're looking to try and say, well, how can we get agreement on the big issues that we haven't been able to kind of address in the last two or three years? They need to reform property tax because that you know there is a crisis mounting there because the sort of the the, the, the valuations are, are now date back to 2013 and they're no longer applicable and there's about 80 or 90 thousand houses that have been built since then that don't come in under the local property tax so there is an issue that has to be addressed there same can be said for third level fees and the funding of third level they, they've basically kicked that can down the road Slaunch care remains and somewhat in abeyance. So there are big issues across the board that need to be addressed. And I presume a lot of those, and from what I can gather from my sources, is these are the sort of issues that have been teased out. It's The the, the meetings have been described as intense but cordial. Um, but the idea that um, they've decided or agreed upon who's going to be Taoiseach, uh, I don't think they're anywhere near that as of yet. But um, there would, some, would, some would think that, um, you know, given that he's in situ and his ministers are in situ, that the likes of Simon Harris and Simon Coveney and Leo Varadkar and probably Pascal Donoghue would remain in situ in their current positions for the time being. And then Fianna Fáil would get the second crack at it, you know, at the second half of, of whatever term is agreed. But there has been obviously suggestions that Leo may be willing to let Michal go first. But I would certainly think in terms of continuity, I think the you don't change... Uh, you know, a working Taoiseach in the middle of a crisis, I think that would be too disruptive. So, um, But, you know, as I said, they're, they're still several weeks away uh, before oh. I think a, a deal is finally done. OK, and you mentioned a couple of the issues, and I, I think because I've, I've been banging on about a few of those myself over the last number of years, particularly, as you said, third-level fees and the property tax. Now, the thing about both those, it would strike me, Danny, is they have been contentious for a while. They are going to be issues that everybody heretofore people have kicked to touch simply because... They're going to be taking money out of people's pockets 
and nobody likes that. When you marry that with, I think there was a report today that they have said they are not going to impose austerity. People have had enough of that for the last 10 years. When you put all of that together and against what appears to be we're going to be facing into very straightened times, looks very tough assignment. It does. It, it kind of like that. There's a circle that has to be squared here. I, like I mean, given the scale, and, and I mean, I was at the the press conference from with Pascal Donahue earlier on, and his officials where they set out the the sort of the very stark figures, and the scale of the the challenge the country is now facing, and the speed with which the country has been plunged into a recession. Um, you know, the, like there is going to be huge pressure on Ireland's ability to stay afloat and to fund itself, uh, and ultimately we will have to borrow to keep the lights on and ultimately when you're borrowing um you know you need to raise money to essentially pay that money back at some stage um so i think it's somewhat i won't say naive but i think it's probably a bit fanciful to say that there will be no element of austerity uh coming down the tracks will it be the sort of level of austerity we saw in the crash 10 years ago probably not given the just how diverse the economy actually is and given the likelihood that that things could bounce back pretty quickly but to say that there would be no austerity just I think is a, is probably a bridge too far. I think what you might see is a, a deferring or a delaying of a lot of the sort of key projects that they had looked to do, say under Ireland 2040, you know, and the timescale that they had looked to do. I think a lot of those bigger projects could very well get delayed. Um, and that would obviously be a disappointment because demographic pressures are still going to be there. Schools are still going to be needed. Hospitals are going to be needed card stations, all that kind of stuff are all going to, and transport links are all going to still be needed. But if they're delayed, um, it may be the softer option rather than actually taking more money out of people's pockets. Um, but there are issues that need to be addressed. And I, I cited the property tax issue. I mean, that, that, you know, from the, the Troika to the OECD to every sort of international economic body, they say this is a guaranteed revenue stream that Ireland is essentially underutilizing, that, that there is a there's a lot of money that the government could be taking in from property tax, but it has just been so scared and so timid to even tackle that particular thorny issue. Because quite honestly, the previous government in the, in the previous law didn't have the numbers to tackle that issue because uh, it would have collapsed the government. Uh, so that's why a government with a majority is needed to really overcome these issues. You do the unpopular thing in year one and year two of government, and hopefully people will forget by the time you go to the polls. But, uh, you know, given how unstable the numbers are in the Dáil, you'd, you'd still be a brave politician to, to take those issues on head on, you know, at this stage. You would. And one other issue that strikes me, leaps out, to be honest with you, straight away. Um, we have currently the COVID-19 emergency payment, 350 a week. Uh, which was raised, I think, in response to a lot of um, dissatisfaction with the initial payment, which was about 203. But what strikes me, Danny, is that with figures today that are, I think, upwards of half a million people unemployed, now, with the best will in the world, and we can only hope for the best, if things get back within a reasonable time, hopefully a huge chunk of that number will be back at work. But even with the best of predictions, you're still going to have an awful lot of people who are still out of work, they're on a payment of three fifty a week. Is there any way that a government can come in and say at some stage, presumably in the next six months to a year, sorry, the emergency payment is over. Anyone who's out of work now reverts to what was the uh, old job seekers allowance. That that'll be very very difficult. And I think, Mick, you, you wrote a very fine piece on this last week uh, about you know the sort of sweeping changes that this government has introduced uh, to combat. 
COVID-19 in terms of rent freezes, no evictions, the sort of socialist revolution that you know, our forefathers have been screaming about since 1916, you know, was delivered in a week or two under under the you know uh, under the threat of a of a pandemic. Undoing all of that will be much more difficult. I mean, when when you essentially have abolished the two tier health system, it will be very difficult to go back to it because you know essentially you you've essentially restructured the entire system now. Ultimately how you pay for all of that long term is is the secret to all of this. I mean, the, like the government is absolutely right to pry in the economy loads of money at this stage. It has to do that. Money, International money is cheap. Um, it has to keep what are otherwise viable businesses going and do that through these supports and these um, kind of payments. But these are short-term solutions. These are not long-term solutions. And ultimately, businesses cannot look at these payments for their survival, if you know, um, but they should be there long enough to keep them going. Now, the government has essentially said they're in place for 12 weeks. But on, on, on the other hand, we're hearing that these sort of lockdowns or restrictions are likely to kind of uh, be around for maybe much longer than that. So, you know, there is a bit of mixed messaging going on here. So ultimately, you know, while the government is right to put all its money where it, its mouth is at the moment and, and try and keep the, 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 the country afloat with as much money as it can, it can only do that for so long. And ultimately, you know, we have to get businesses back up and running. We have to get the country back up and running um, as quickly as possible. But all of that would be determined by the public health need. And if, if, if the public health officials determine that we are in lockdown until October, that will be the decision that will be taken. And ultimately, businesses will go to the wall. And, you know, a lot of people will, will feel the pain on that. And But how a government unwinds all of those emergency measures uh, is a very, very difficult ask, without question. It is, it is indeed. No, uh, okay, even with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, if they advance and they're heading towards government formation, together I think it's 72 seats is the total they would have. A bare majority would require 80. The first people it would appear that are willing to come on board uh, are the Rural Alliance. I think they might have nine TDs. Are they more or less nailed down, Danny? Well, it's there are different groupings mixed. Like, so the rural alliance is the sort of Healy Ray grouping. The All the right. region, the regional alliance is right. the group that say is the, is the Sean Canny, Dennis Nocton, um, Michael Larry group. And my alliance is mixed up there. <laughs> exactly, but without question, these are the guys who are are definitely seen as the most attractive option for for government formation. Whether you get all eight in government or sitting on the government benches remains to be seen. I say eight because you know Pater Tobin is in that group at the moment, but he's made it very clear that he will not do a deal with Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil. So he he is expected, and even some of his own colleagues are saying they don't expect him to be in the in the shakeup when 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 things actually come to you know uh, come to pass. So you're looking at a group of eight. So that gets you to the, the bare minimum 80 so therefore another group would be required and you know while the Labour Party have said um, up to this point that they're not interested I think once they've decided and finalised their leadership uh, matter which could happen as early as tomorrow um, and it's expected that Alan Kelly will will be the leader um, I think that, that their tune their tune could change very quickly and if they were end up say they got two cabinet ministries a couple of junior ministries and a, a, a Shannon nominee or two you know, the Labour Party could easily see themselves in government again. Um, and and the likes of that regional group, you know, you could have three ministries from them and the, the likes of, you know, Michael Larry, I think, would be more than happy and the Noel Greenish would probably be more than happy to support a government as they have done from the opposition benches, 
get their deal for their own little pet projects and away you go. Um, whereas others like Sean Canny, Dennis Nocton, maybe even Verona Murphy could see themselves sitting on the cabinet benches um, or the ministerial benches playing their part. Can I ask you, you have, as you said, the different groupings, regional and rural. Let's just say in the event, for example, that Labour, and, and this week they indicated, as, as you said, this could well change whenever their leadership election finishes, but this week they seemed, the parliamentary party, to indicate that they wouldn't go into government. In that instance, is it possible that you could have both the regional and the rural alliance of TDs going in with Fianna Fáil Fianna Gael? It's a much bigger ask, Mick, because I, I genuinely seem to think that there's a, a there's a deep reluctance to kind of even countenance the sort of, that sort of... Um, Mayhem? <laughs> well, unpredictability, I think, would probably... Or, right, or, right, um, right. Because I think the attraction of the um, the regional independence is that a lot of them have either been in government or have supported government from the opposition over several terms. So there's a, there's an inherent stability there. Like Sean Canney has proven himself to be a very... You know, canny by name, canny by nature. He's proven himself to be a very effective uh, operator, and he's only in the doll since uh, 2016. But you know, having left the Independence Alliance, having lost his ministry, he managed to keep himself in favour and got himself a ministry back. He is now prime placed to, if they do do a deal, to be in the mix for a cabinet ministry. Dennis Nocton has unfinished business. He too could very well see himself back at the cabinet table, um, if they manage to bring their eight votes together. Um, Someone else in that group, as I said, I, I I named Verona Murphy. You know, has a has a background. Could she end up being a, a minister for transport? Who knows? Like, given her mm. her 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 expertise, but. You look at the other group, the the Matty McGraths, who have been kind of dogged opponents to, to much of the government legislation in terms of road traffic legislation of the last uh, drink driving legislation of the last last term. Um, I think they'd be a far more tricky uh, pr- proposition than say the other grouping. Um, and I think there would be a less there'd be far less willingness, but say, but from both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to deal with them. But needs must at the end of the day and if you need to get that extra group to, to make sure you've a you, you know you have the numbers then you then then you could very well see a deal being done but if for example the Labour Party were to come back into play I could guarantee you they're a far easier sell uh, to to the two big parties than say oh, doing a deal with with the the, the the rural independence without question I can well imagine no one other grouping the Green Party uh, in today's Irish Examiner uh, for anybody for some inexplicable reason they haven't got it. I, I, I couldn't imagine why. But John Gormley has a very interesting piece. John Gormley, of course, former leader of the Green Party, uh, was the minister when the Greens went into government with Fianna Fáil in uh, 2007. He was the party leader at that time. He's written a very interesting piece. Now, as we know, the Green Party's position currently is they want a unity government. They It would seem certainly that some, if not most of them, at the moment are not inclined towards going in with Fianna Fáil. But John Gormley, interesting piece here, he referred back to the famous quote from the, the late Seamus Brennan telling the Greens, you're playing senior, senior hurling now, lads, and you're playing against fellas with All-Ireland medals. They got into negotiations, etc. John, he's a cut-off. Commentators who, who've been urging the Greens to step up to the plate, the, the baseball metaphor he uses, I, I'll have to put my hands up and say, I, I wrote something along those lines and I may be among those he's aiming that at, and no problem there. But... He finishes off the piece, Danny, after going through the fact that it would seem this unity government or even a caretaker government is the choice of the Greens. Yet at the very end, and this is the final sentence in the piece, it's time for a new Seamus Brennan to emerge, a reasonable, calm, wise personality who realises that forcing an inadequate deal on the Greens won't work. Now, one reading of that could be uh, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, come to the Greens with a reasonable proposal and perhaps they might pick up the hurley and uh, 
get on the pitch again. Uh, w- would I be way off in, in, in taking that interpretation from it? Well, I certainly think there would be an, a willingness from the Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil side to deal with the Greens, like in terms because like the block of twelve is a very attractive proposition. Like if you get the agreement of twelve TDs, like I mean that makes life much much easier. Um, but I think there is a kind of a growing realization that like the likes of Eamon Ryan is not necessarily in control of his party. You know what I mean? Just because Eamon Ryan might be more willing to go in and and like I think you can clearly see he's desperate to get back into government. He really enjoyed his time in government, not notwithstanding he lost a seat and the party was wiped out, but he saw what could be done in office there are there are others within the party namely the likes of Nessa Harrigan my local constituency TD here in Dublin Central and Roderick O'Gorman and others who are far more circumspect these are the people who probably soldiered in the dark days after 2011 to help rebuild the party and, and get it back up and running you know and they saw the cost of being in government um, and are, are, as I said are, are you know they're pushing this unity national government thing in um, proposition in order to to, to address the, 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 the COVID-19 crisis but you know that has been you know roundly rejected by the likes of Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil out of hand. They're saying that you know so uh, and they've made it clear the party's position overall is that they they're still ploughing towards that unity government, and as long as that continues, they're off the pitch. Um, but you know we're a kind of an attractive op- proposition in terms of what ministries may be on offer or what, what you know, kind of policy agenda in terms of dealing with the environmental issues uh, may be brought forward, they could they could be changed or they could be courted. Um, but as of now, you know, they're very much, they, they, they've kind of isolated themselves off the pitch, which seems un- which seems crazy given the fact that, you know, global and global environment issues have sort of dominated the political agenda for the last 12 months or so. Um, and I think it would be somewhat... Uh, I think it would be definitely be a missed opportunity if the Green Party would find themselves in opposition rather than in government this time around. And you, you mentioned that the younger um, members saw the, the price of having gone into government previously, but on the basis of the vote they got this time, will there be a price to be paid if they decide they simply won't go into government and, and from, from the, 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 the electorate who put so many of them in this time? Yeah, I, like I mean, it's a tough call for them, like because, it, like I mean, the, the, there has been a sense that they ate very much into the Fine Gael vote, particularly in Dublin. Uh, so there was this sort of. Uh, the kind of body of people who said I'm voting green to try and uh, deal with the the agenda, um, and I think that, you know if they don't go in, I think there will there will be people might feel well that's a wasted vote. You know they may return back to to Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, who clearly you know and unashamedly say politics is about power and about being in power, and therefore you know it's not a wasted vote. They would argue, um, but you know the Green Party like the, they're a very tricky. I, they're a very tricky uh, proposition, Mick. I remember it was my job when I was working for the Sunny Independent to mark the Greens when they were in government last time around. So week after week, you were kind of watching them kind of going, half of them are saying this, half of them are saying something else. And then you were getting into this position of, your man is speaking on behalf of the Greens, but not on behalf of the Greens in government. So you had all these kind of city games being played by different wings of the Green Party. And I could see that happening again because, like, already, as you said, as I said, like, you've got Eamon Ryan saying one thing, and then you have the likes of Nessa Harrigan and Roderick O'Gorman and Oshin Smith and all these other people saying different things at different times. So trying to get a unified message out of the Green Party is very, very difficult. But that's not to say if they were able to get themselves into a position where their 12 votes could be courted, they get enough you know, enough promises from the likes of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil uh, kind of in, in terms of concrete proposals, then they could very well uh, reverse in their position and going in. But they'd be tricky, they'd be tricky coalition partners. That's all I would say to you. Like, I mean, they, would, yeah. they, they wouldn't exactly make life easy for those who were in government with them, like. 
No, and I, I suppose to be fair to them, the other side of that coin is that because they are so issue driven, perhaps they are not as politically astute or some might describe it as politically cynical as other parties. But I, I, I do take your point. One other grouping that that, that, that that you mentioned in passing there, Danny, the Social Democrats. Now, one thing that strikes me about them in particular, Roisin Shortall was the chair, I think, of the committee that managed to bring in Slauncha Care. It was very much a pet project. The first, very committed to it. And along comes the opportunity now, and I think it was something of a surprise that they got six seats to go into government and immediately they've ruled it out. They said they would only go in with one or other of Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, but they wouldn't go in with both. Is there... Is there a lack of self-confidence there that they, they, they couldn't dictate their own agenda just because there's two of the bigger parties there? I think it's reflective of the somewhat prickly nature the Social Democrats find themselves in um, in terms of their personalities. Um, like the manner of Roisin Shorto's departure from the Labour Party, you know, led a lot of people to conclude that she was not the easiest person to work with in government. There are enough people within the Social Democrats who will say the same thing, that she's not the easiest person to work with. And therefore, um, there was an element of maybe throwing their toys out of the pram or just being slightly diva-esque when it came to, you know, um, their demands. I mean, the cancelling of a meeting with, with Fine Gael because they were accusing Fine Gael of posturing seemed a bit seemed a bit overly dramatic. I mean, I would have thought, like, things get done by, by negotiating, not by cancelling meetings. Um, but, you know, they, they, they haven't reversed their position since then, formally as a party, you know, they, they literally, having cancelled that meeting, they seem to have cancelled themselves out of all talks. Um, now, I did note your comments, I think Holly Kearns was on this podcast last week, and I kind of was struck by her comments that, you know, that they were talking to other people at the moment, and, and there could be, given the scale of the crisis being, uh, being faced, that they could find themselves back in the mix again, but nothing formal from the sort of the parties uh, has, has emanated from, in, in line with that. And they're certainly not being seen by the others at the moment as being players or active players at the moment. But, um, you know, they have a block of six votes. Again, you know, people who would be seen as kind of relatively solid, stable, you know, could do business with, barring, uh, you know, if Roisin Shortall and her, or maybe her wider eccentricities could be cur curtailed or, or contained. But, like, Catherine Murphy's a very serious politician um, who has a very fine track record of exposing kind of waste, um, and, you know, was a very effective member of the Public Accounts Committee. Um, and, you know, they're, they're like, the likes of Keen O'Callaghan, very good, I know him from college, he was, has always been a very effective politician. Holly Kearns brings something different to the table, given her agricultural background, and, you know, someone who represents a very rural constituency but yet has this very progressive mindset um you know jennifer whitmore again is another formidable operate, uh, operator like so you know they have good people there you know it's not like they would simply be making up the numbers um but whether or not i suppose they can grow up enough to to kind of put themselves back in the mix remains to be seen okay and the one other party that it would certainly appear are not in the mix at the moment the party that by any standard i think it would be fair to say could claim to have won the general election, albeit not with a majority on it, and that, of course, is Sinn Féin. Now, I've noticed, Danny, a lot of people, there's letters in the paper today, and I've seen a lot of it in social media, a lot of people in Sinn Féin giving out, talking about the politics of exclusion, the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will not talk to them, and that's why we're at this somewhat sort of precarious position in terms of formation at the moment. And they also talk about that this is disrespecting the hundreds of thousands, I don't know the exact figure, of people who voted for them. But having said all that, I mean, just coming at it from another way, and this may not be a fashionable way to come at it in the moment, but Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, between them, had 40%, 42% of the vote. And they told their voters that they wouldn't go in with Sinn Féin. And to be fair to them, 
a, a lot of that was because they don't regard them as a normal political party and it has even emerged in concrete terms since the election exactly what kind of party they are and that came as a result of a sort of I thought personally I would have called it a major investigative piece by Cullum Keane in the Irish Times and there was one very interesting element to it and that was an interview with Sinn Féin's long-term director of finance Des Mackin and in particular he had this quote where he said uh, we don't want a parliamentary party running the organisation. We want to stay a party of activists. It's a totally different model. There's nothing mysterious about it. Now, that amounts to a scenario whereby a body of eight people, which are the, the overseeing body of the Ard Corla, effectively run the party, control it, decide on policy. And the other element, and some of those individuals, I think about three, have history in the IRA and others no issue there the peace process was to bring everybody in but it was to bring people into electoral politics but nevertheless leave that aside apart from that a number of those people don't even live in this state so on two levels first of all in terms of those who voted for Fianna Fáil Fianna Gael, having a problem with that kind of thing I think they're entitled to it also if you were in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and an element of trust is required for a coalition how could you trust a scenario whereby you're talking to Sinn Féin's elected politicians, yet knowing that ultimately they're not the people that control the party? Many questions in, in, in that, Mick. I think like it was absolutely right and proper for Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to turn in and say, listen, we won't deal with a particular party. I think, you know, like if it's if they have, you know, their own it's it's their business as to who they will talk to and who they will not talk to. It's also perfectly legitimate for Sinn Fein um to try and demand the winds of change and say that they have a right to to form a government. But they've also had fifty four days now to bring that into action. Like no one has stopped them from um, you know, from from talking to anybody or anything like that, um, but they haven't been able to they haven't been able to to get and d- deliver on that left alliance that they had promised. Um, it has been clear since the election that two of the big three groupings would have to coalesce. Um, and you know, Michal Martin slightly opened the door. Uh, just after the the, I think it was on on the first count day where he said he you know all things were basically on the table given the the scale of the result, um, and I thought that was a kind of a relatively smart move that he was at least opening the door to Sinn Fein and the world didn't fall down and the sky didn't certainly fall fall down and it would have certainly put Fine Gael in a precarious position had he done that. But obviously, given the reaction of the likes of Michael McGrath and Jim O'Callaghan, who basically said, absolutely no way, we're not countenancing that in any way, Michal Martin reversed Ferret and has doubled down on this idea of not doing any sort of deal with Sinn Féin. Uh, so, so basically, Sinn Féin, you know, for the second time in a row, have failed to make themselves relevant in the, in the final shake-up when it comes to forming a government. Um, and, you know, people have talked about change. I mean, you know, in 2016... Fianna Gael offered Fianna Fáil the Grand Coalition and that offer was spurned. But I suppose realising that Micheál Martin has failed to deliver the sort of 60 seats that many people had expected him to deliver this time around. He's come back with 38, now 37, because they've lost Sean O'Farrell to the Ken Corlow's position. He has to, he like, if he wants to become Taoiseach, this is his only way to becoming Taoiseach. It means doing a deal with the old enemy. Um, and therefore, you have to swallow your pride and kind of swallow down very painful sort of you know elements that go along with that. You know, in terms of coalescing with Fine Gael, 
probably nominating Phoenix, you know, Leo Varadkar to be Taoiseach first and then him second or vice versa. You know, a lot of that's going to be unpalatable to the grassroots of both parties. But yeah, it's the lesser of two evils. The other the other option was doing a deal with Sinn Féin, which a lot of his party just would not have countenanced, or or a second general election, which in, in, in terms of Micheál Martin, I think would have certainly spurred on his departure as leader. So therefore, he had a very pragmatic calculation to make. And politics is all about you know, the art of pragmatism. He basically figured out that you know doing a deal with Fianna Gael is the least worst option, even though it's pretty unpalatable for for a lot of his more tribal grassroots. Yeah, definitely, and that's I suppose is 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 where things are at. The, the other thing about that though is that it would certainly appear that if the government forms as it appears to be heading towards now, Sinn Fein will be the main party of opposition and will also therefore be in a position to be very possibly the biggest party after the next election and even in a coalition uh, arrangement, probably the the, the senior uh, partner in that arrangement. That's very true. and But, you know, I suppose one would have to caution against uh, predicting too far down the line, Mick, I suppose that yeah. the thing could, could very well kind of rejig things. I mean, like Fidel Gale have clearly benefited from some wave of people saying, okay, these guys are doing a pretty good job by way of managing the, the crisis so far. I think those numbers will fall back a bit because I think, you know, while the initial response has certainly been quite good, I think when you when you get into the detail of working that out or if delays are experienced, particularly and we're seeing delays in terms of testing, we're likely to see delays in terms of the rollout of payments and stuff and people will start seeing, you know, the you know, people like the pressures and the strains of this sort of shutdown will start becoming visible. I mean, people can kind of only grin and bear for so long uh, until a price has to be paid. Um, and ultimately, you know, the question if uh, people will have to be asked at the next election, whenever it will be, whether it's this year, next year, or three or four years' time, is, you know, what's it, are we in recovery stage at that stage? Are we in kind of surplus territory where the economy is going great, you know, great guns again? Or are we still very much in a crisis mode? Um, and I think what Fine Gael have shown themselves is that they're very good at crisis, and crisis recovery, they're not so good at delivering, I suppose, the society that that kind of a growing economy, uh, you know, demands. And, and I think that that has been, I think that was one of the main reasons why Fine Gael did so badly in this election is that they, they really failed to, I suppose, deliver on, on the sort of the needs of a growing society. You could say the same about Fianna Fáil. I think people, I think a lot of people said it's 10 years since they ruined the economy. Do we have we forgiven them yet? A lot of people said, actually, in the heel of the hunt is we haven't. So therefore, um, the, the huge vote swung to Sinn Fein, and I think I, I think we spoke on this program before. You know, a lot of people, younger people who probably never voted in a general election before, have only voted in one general election before, probably see Fine Gael through the prism of marriage equality, repeal the eighth as a somewhat you know like liberal party. Uh, you know, led by an openly gay Taoiseach, you know, Pascal, who kind of is, is certainly on the sort of Gareth Fisher liberal wing of, of Fine Gael. But that's not Fine Gael at its heart. Fine Gael is, you know, traditionally a very conservative party. Um, and therefore, you know, it, it, that leap, that leap, I say, for those young people from Fine Gael to, to Sinn Féin was probably not as big as, as some people would have made it two generations ago. So there, therefore, it's a like it's a very fractured political spectrum that we find ourselves in. The sort of old adages of you know our family have voted Fianna Fáil all the way along just don't simply apply anymore. Uh, it's a far more fickle vote. So just as you know, as good as the Fine or the Sinn Féin vote was in in February fifty four days ago, 
whether there's no guarantee that they would replicate that vote next time around, even if they were the lead party of opposition. So it's it, you know I think to try and predict too far down the line now, yeah. I just think it, it, it's probably a bit it's probably a bit beyond my pay grade anyway at this stage. I, I think you're dead right. It's a bit beyond any, anybody with any sense in terms of predicting what happened. Danny, just finally to complete it and in a line, if you could, if you were to call it now in terms of the composition of the next government, lay it out there. Uh, I'm actually writing a piece about this for Monday Mick so I, the way I see it is Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil uh, the eight members of the regional uh, independence minus Padre Tobin and the Labour Party giving you a, a coalition total of 86 I think Fianna Gael will have five seats at the cabinet table Fianna Fáil would have five seats at the cabinet table the, the regional independence will have three Labour would have two and then they divvy up the, the juniors and super juniors and all the other goodies out there thereafter but that's that's uh, that's my prediction as of now Danny, look forward to reading that on Monday and to see whom exactly you put in which places at the Cabinet. Danny McConnell, Plug Letter the Examiner, thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. You can find the podcast on the usual platforms, including iTunes and Spotify. You can let me know what you think of it at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. See you again soon. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.